We turn now to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Let us again listen for the word of the Lord among us. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So I thought I had this sermon made. After all, the text begins in Capernaum, and just a few weeks ago, I stood in the ruins of the actual Capernaum, peering into the remains of a 5th century church, waiting for Revelation to strike. I thought this sermon was already written because I would just read this text in Mark, tell some awesome story about walking where Jesus walked, share some of my amazement, epiphanies, spiritual revelations, and ta-da, my sermon would be done. But things didn't quite work out that way. The trip I took a few weeks ago to travel around Israel and West Bank with a group of pastors was a time of wonderment, of rich learning, of spiritual pilgrimage. We stepped into the shallows of the Galilean Sea and drank the water from a well where Jesus traditionally met the Samaritan woman. We read scripture on the hillside and on the sea in chapels and in churches and in tombs. And we saw 25 centuries of stones stacked on stones over there, seeing how the ruins of walls from 9th century BCE were underneath the floors of Jewish synagogues, underneath the roads of Roman soldiers, underneath the towers of crusader pilgrims, underneath the thresholds of Palestinian Palestinian villagers, and all now underneath the pavement of modern tourist-friendly highways. And yet, as I started to reflect on this trip, on the spiritual experience we all shared, the highs we would talk about at the end of the day, as I tried to write about what this travel had meant for me, my mind tilted off in a hundred different directions. After all, I was having a hard time contemplating just the wondrous things of the land we had seen and traveled through. I started to think about the facts of the political situation there and how the emotions of the last century continue to shape that land. My brain started spinning and I no longer wanted to share just the amazing things but also the broken things that we had witnessed. I would think again about the housing and job crises in Jerusalem, especially for the poorest residents, 
And I wanted to share the stories of people we met who were trying very hard not to be squeezed by fears and prejudices. People like Mika, the Israeli soldier turned political organizer, and Dimitri, the Lutheran Palestinian pastor, and Hani, our Arab Catholic tour guide who speaks seven different languages. I wanted to share about the ways walls and poverty and religious rhetoric roiled the spirits of we pastors who were traveling, even though we didn't come speaking, seeking political engagement. We had come to be moved to astonishment and wonder about the man who had lived 2,000 years ago and walked these hills. And we would have been happy just to stay in that place of spiritual awe. Yet, we still had to see the raw wounds of this land. And in the end, this sermon didn't write itself with a few amazing anecdotes. This beautiful and beloved part of the world needs too much healing for me to just describe the high points. But then I realized that those two emotions I was experiencing, the two things that compelled us pilgrimaging pastors to this place, are the two very same things, the very same experiences that people come to Jesus wanting, needing, in this text today. We look at this crowd, and it is a whole host of people gathering to Jesus, and some of them come to be amazed, and some of them come to be healed. These are two very human needs. At some point in our lives, we all have sought to be amazed or needed to be healed. After all, we crest high mountains and stand along seashores at sunrise, seeking to be astonished. Or we savor the sounds of glorious music or watch body-bending feats of athletes. We seek astonishment because we want to be knocked out of ourselves, given a taste of something beyond our own limited imaginations. And indeed, you might have noticed that marketing teams have picked up on this, and every single article on the internet now seems to promise that a life-changing, mind-blowing experience will happen if you click on this link. You can see the line that, read this and you'll be amazed, or this story will change your life, or something like, you won't believe your eyes what happens when this guy puts two plus two together. Click here to find out the story. Advertisers know that sometimes we want to be astonished. This was true of the crowds in Jesus' day. It is true of we who are pilgrimaging to this land. We can read in this text that the crowds are astounded by how Jesus taught. They are amazed by what he does. And they cannot help but keep asking each other, what is this? But then alongside the crowd needing that amazement, seeking that spectacle, there is a man with an unclean spirit who is shouting and spitting and struggling. This man needs healing. We can feel removed from the experiences of people in scripture. After all, they lived 2,000 years ago, and they understood things like mental health very differently than we do now. But as one of the pastors said on the trip, we have something in common with the people who are gathering around Jesus. All of us are broken. All of us need healing. 
And while we might not describe it as feeling convulsed by spirits, many of us know this need for healing, for reconciling, all too well. Healing looks different to different people. When I was a chaplain in the hospital, people would almost always ask for prayers, for healing, but sometimes that would mean that they desperately wanted to get better, leave the hospital, go on and live a long, healthy life. Other times, they were praying for healing and hoping that their body would just stop fighting, would just let go, that they could die. We each are pushed and pulled by forces around us that scar and wound, scrape and damage. And even if we do not understand such forces as demonic, like the crowds that come to Jesus, we too arrive needing healing. After all, we have seen entertaining and empty spectacle before, and now we hunger for something deeper and truer. The writer of Mark knows this. It's interesting that while we might think a story of an exorcism makes for an unusual tale, to early hearers and readers of this text, they know this formula very well. They've heard it before. In this time that the scriptures were written, any traveling showman worth his prophetic words would cast out a few demons. The exorcism would be impressive, a crowd would gather, and after they gawked in amazement, applauded, people would leave, go home, entertained but unchanged. So Mark tells this familiar tale with this formula, but he doesn't want us to just gape at Jesus' power. He wants us to pay attention to what is happening before and after the astonishing act. Jesus begins by teaching in the synagogue. Then the exorcism happens, and then at the end, people declare, ah, a new teaching. This isn't supposed to be an empty show. Jesus is not just setting up a fierce battle with demonic forces and then bowing to the applause. Mark wants us to see that Jesus is offering his onlookers something else, a whole new teaching, a whole new way of living. What he is saying and what he is doing aren't two separate things. They are bound together in a proclamation that this, this is a new thing, a new way of being. Do not come just to gawk, do not come just to be exercised, come to be set free and see that God is here at work. Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus says. We hear that it is compelling and authoritative and it is frustrating because we might want just a few more sound bites to take home with us, a few more nuggets of this preaching. But perhaps that is the point. Perhaps Mark doesn't tell us more about Jesus' teaching because we are supposed to keep reading, keep following along. We are supposed to keep watching and listening and searching for what Jesus is saying and doing. This is where I am right now, that searching and waiting and listening. The trip is over. All the photos have been edited. 
The jet lag has been defeated, and now I am back in the stuff of everyday life. And while I want to contemplate what this pilgrimage is saying to me now, to meditate on the high points, I cannot just sit and reflect all day. I must also get to work, go to meetings, make dinner, go to bed. I am still waiting to see what this trip will mean for me, for us, for all those who have traveled. And indeed, that is where most of us are. Most of us who are in these pews and in this city and in this world, most of us have experienced some holy and beautiful moment in our life where we felt deeply connected to God, profoundly close to Christ's healing love and grace. But now the astonishment has faded. Our awe has been flooded by stupendously ordinary life. And our holy moments are now stacked under laundry and dishes and taxes and calendars. We wait, and sometimes it can feel like we are waiting for a very, very long time. We wait and we are surrounded by forces of injustice and bigotry, grief and poverty, mental illness and physical disability, and we might begin to think we missed the boat. Maybe this whole healing thing that we read about in the scriptures was a one-time tale, and we need to give up the search. It is after the astonishment fades and we all drift back into everyday life, after our attention shifts to the next person promising an entertaining spectacle, that is the time when we must remind ourselves what these scriptures are proclaiming. Jesus is not doing a one-time thing. This work of God in the world is not stopping, even though we might decide to look away. Jesus is still at work, still moving and speaking and healing and teaching throughout the small Galilean region and far, far beyond. Indeed, when you travel to this part of the world, as we did, as our bus started to skirt the edges of the Galilean Sea, you might realize, as we did, that this place is not very big. This region known as Galilee can be pretty much seen in a couple days. What we know as the Sea of Galilee is actually better described as a lake. Most biblical writers might not have been aware of how big a sea really is, and so you can travel around that region and see most of the villages with a day or two or more of walking. Capernaum itself was a small fishing village bustling because of people coming in and out for trade, but it was not that big. But as people came and went, after Jesus did some of his amazing, astonishing acts, news spread and Jesus probably became famous pretty fast. Never, ever, ever underestimate the speed and of gossip. For after their fame spread, you can imagine how Jesus and his followers probably were quite the local celebrities. And as they wandered from place to place, you can imagine villagers throwing open their doors once they realized who this was, wanting to see some more of his magnificent healing. I was talking to one friend and we were remarking how Jesus could have just kept walking around this region for the rest of his life, establishing a nice ministry that would have given him some local fame. 
He could have been touted as a brilliant teacher and prophet. He could have stayed the local hero living in this beautiful region, able to walk the cliffs and seashores that he knows so well. But he didn't. After the astonishment of the crowds faded, Jesus didn't stop. He didn't consider his job done. He continued on, even though it led far from the land he loved, even though eventually it led to the big city of Jerusalem where the political and religious powers fought him as hard as the demons. He continued on because there was more he felt compelled to share, more he felt compelled to share and teach about love and grace, healing and repentance. He spoke in words that we can understand with an authority that makes us pay attention, with a conviction that this new teaching will change our lives. Even after the astonishment, Christ knows there is still work to be done. And we are being invited, too, on a journey that does not stop, that is still unfolding. We can choose to look and listen and follow this Jesus of Nazareth away from the spectacle and local fame. We can follow him out, out into the world. And that is where I am now. That is where most of us are, indeed. We are trying to decide what to do after the astonishment, after we've left the amazed crowds. We are deciding what to do now that we've admitted, yes, yes, we too need healing. And so we pray again, and we watch and we listen again to this teacher in the synagogue. We come here to this space, and we leave this space and go do ministries in the world. We wait and we wrestle and we get annoyed with God's timing, and then we get to work, and we pray again and listen again, and we try again to live into this new teaching that Jesus offers. Prophetic words that ask us to share Christ's love and light and peace. We practice offering and receiving grace from God. We work for healing justice. We attempt to love our neighbor and our Lord just a bit more honestly and deeply. We go out into the world and try to embody such good news to the wounds of who, those who ache and those who need so much more than spectacle. We, like the crowds, have come to be amazed. We have come to be healed. But after the astonishment fades, that is the time when it is up to us to take the tentative steps of faith. So when the crowds ask, what is this? What is this new teaching? The scriptures respond, this is Jesus Christ. Follow him and find out. So friends, let us follow him into this space and beyond. Let us walk this way together and learn Continue to learn from this man of Nazareth. Let us pray. Lord, you continue to teach and act and move. 
and be an important part of shaping the world even when our attention fades. So Lord, renew us again in ministry. Remind us again of the ways you are healing. Remind us again what it means to love you and love each other with just a bit more honesty. In your holy name we pray. Amen.